you are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. Hey. No way that we go is a one-way street. Nothing that we love is a one-day key. And if we gon' do it, we gon' do this now. And if we say we gonna, we gon' hold this down. No way How's it going, everyone? My name is Will Holdren. I am the host of the Willpower Podcast. Today, our special guest is Brian Mayer. And Brian actually runs the Mayer Group, which is an EXP Realty Group based out of Maryland. Um, and he's also an EXP Realtor. So it's an absolute honor to have him on here today. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Will. Glad to be here. Of course, man. My pleasure. Love talking to realtors and kind of figure out why they chose this industry in the first place and kind of how they got to where they are today. Sure. Uh, so my first question for you that I ask all my guests is, what was your childhood like and how has it helped turn you into a successful realtor today? That's an interesting transition. Okay. So uh, my childhood was good in my, it does kind of, the story ties in a little bit. So my, my, my father bought a, a second home when I was about seven years old in a place called Solomon's Island. And it was a small oysterman's cottage it was just a small uh cinder block cape cod and it turns out that you know that was a very you know wise decision and at one point it was close to a million dollars when it was sold and um i think from that that search and then he bought another piece of property at one point you know he wasn't by any means a real estate investor but I think going through that process did get me you know tuned into the idea of real estate a little bit but uh, if you asked me when I was 17 years old or graduating high school what it is that I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have said selling million dollar houses in Florida as a real estate agent. And wow. I've sold million dollar houses in Maryland. I haven't made it to Florida yet, but it's it's been on my radar my whole life. Wow, that is awesome. And yeah. it's so cool to kind of see you follow through with that and like here you are today looking back on it and now you've accomplished everything you wanted to. Um, so I'm assuming, did you end up going to college? Did you jump right into real estate right out of high school? No, I went to a trade school for computers and I worked in IT for 12 years before I started in the mortgage business in 09. I started November of 09, which according to some was the worst month in the worst year in the history of real estate in our lifetime. Right. And uh, it was a struggle to get off the ground. So I'll just kind of fast forward. My wife ended up getting licensed in January 1st, 2014. And she immediately started to sell one house a month. And I knew that it was possible. And I turned in my license and became licensed six months later. So in June of 2014, I got licensed. Gotcha. Very cool. So your wife kind of inspired you into the industry. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Love it. Um, so one of the things you mentioned is that you still went to college to get a um, trade trade degree and you still went like 12 years in IT, even though you mentioned like at 17, you know, you always, you said you want to be a realtor, like that young of an age, you knew like that was your path. So why did you decide to still go to the trade school and still do IT for 12 years instead of jumping into real estate right away? Uh, because I, I had a, uh, I had a wild, uh, 
young adult life uh, until I was 19, you know, kind of went off the rails and it didn't seem feasible. Nobody I knew was a real estate agent at 19 years old. I didn't know anybody who was in the industry. This was in 2000 and probably, I mean, sorry, 1998 was before the internet had really taken over real estate. And I bought my first house in 2001. I was 22 years old. And that experience uh, was was looking back when it was terrible. You know, I wasn't given good advice, and uh, and I really loved my real estate agent. And I also loved my lender. And at the time, I was like asking all these questions. I wanted to get into the business, but nobody encouraged me to do so. Not to mention, I was uh, the sole provider for my household up until my wife became licensed as a realtor. She never worked, so it just didn't seem like feasible to just jump out of a a career. I had a house payment and then eventually a child. And, you know, it just didn't seem a, 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 a rational thing to do. And and when I did jump in, in the mortgage business in 09, I actually quit my job making over a hundred K. I had all the benefits, 42 days of paid vacation. And wow. I just turned in my notice because I wanted to be in the mortgage business that bad. It was a stupid thing to do, but uh, I did it, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then like you said back in 2014, you actually got your license. You made that jump officially. Um, so when you made that jump, was it kind of scary? Like you said, now you left that corporate job, you left the nine to five, left all that money on the table. And now it's more entrepreneurship. hundred percent. Uh, so I had never been in sales. I never was self-employed. I never had any of that sort of lifestyle as part of my, you know, I did a little bit of like, I had a little computer business and I had a little, uh, internet, uh, website business, but it wasn't ever, anything significant. So it felt like that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't feel, and, and, and I just tell you right now, it, it went South. You know, I, I got in a very, very uh, turbulent time in real estate where, you know, realistically no real estate agent would trust a brand new uh, mortgage lender. I would never trust a brand new mortgage lender, especially if my income went down 80%. So I, I didn't get good advice. Uh, I, I didn't hit the, 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 the mother load and I wasn't some amazing salesperson who just took off. I struggled, uh, you know, eventually went through a lot of hardships and then I started to kind of make it back up, but I never loved the mortgage business because I never loved having fake friendships with real estate agents in order to get business. It just felt very fake to me, unlike the real estate business. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can come off like salesy too at the same time. Um, so fast forward when you when you actually got your license, um, your wife was already a realtor at the time. You said she was selling one one home a month. Um, so when mm-hmm. you got your license, did you um how'd you do like in your first year? Were you selling one home a month just like your wife? Like did you join her team or how was that first year for you? We sort of teamed up. She was like the marketer and then I became the closer. So she became the door opener and then I became the door closer and we actually crushed it. Like our first year together, we did 3.9 million, then 7 million, and then 12 million, I believe, the third year. Yeah. Wow. No, that, that's pretty good. And what, what brokerage were you with then? Because I know you said switch to EXP later. So what brokerage were you with when you started that? Uh, it, was, it was called Remax One. So I was with Remax from 2014 to 2019. Okay. 
Sounds good. And so what were you guys doing to generate so much business? Like you said, early on, like in the stages, even like new real estate agents, hard to get that business coming consistently or even getting those leads. So what were you guys doing during that time period to kind of generate those leads as newer agents? So it was all then and, and to this day, uh, 80 to 90% organic Facebook, um, personal Facebook page, interacting with individuals that we know that we have, you know, in, in many cases, only a Facebook relationship with using our personal Facebook pages. And uh, last year we closed 20 million. I had a few team members that contributed a little bit to that. I don't anymore, but um, it's again, 80 to 90%, depending on the year is all Facebook referrals. Wow. That is crazy. So you still think that's a good strategy today? Just to go straight off of Facebook, start posting, get those organic leads in instead of like actually buying leads and doing all the other stuff, door knocking, cold calls. So I actually, uh, to, to hop on this call, I put down my, uh, my cold calling, uh, software, which is, it's a struggle. Um, and, and as far as like what you had said, as far as like Facebook, there's a whole strategy to getting business from Facebook that is not posting on Facebook about real estate. Like that's a, that's a part of it, but the bigger part of it is to actually have engaging relationships with real people in a meaningful way. And then right. they will of course know you're a real estate agent. So it's sort of the go-giver method where you help promote other people's businesses and you congratulate them on all their life achievements and you, uh, you know, sincerely connect with people as the way to lead into the relationship. And then uh, it's like, you know, I don't believe in all that laws of the universe crap. It's just, you know, it's just common sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I think you said it perfectly. It definitely is a relationship business. And so many yeah. realtors, I feel like come into this industry kind of wanting to get that sale and just be done with it. But like you said, you got to be there for them. Like say happy birthday, Merry Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And then they continue to build that relationship that can lead to referrals down the road. Yeah. Um, so from like your own experience, like how do you kind of cultivate a relationship the right kind of way? Do you have any software that you use to help your mind, like send out happy birthdays, Merry Christmas, that kind of stuff? Or what do you do to kind of keep in touch with people? So I use send out cards, um, not super regularly. I, I've been getting more disciplined about it. I think that the market's getting ready to turn. So I'm trying to like double, double up all my effort. Um, we just rented the uh, 110 seat movie theater for Top Gun. We're inviting 110 of our past clients and referral partners to Top Gun. That's going to be killer. Wow. Um, and then fun. during that event, uh, here in, in, in Maryland, everybody loves, uh, old Bay. So there's this old Bay hot sauce, which is legitimately good by the way. And, uh, it. it was on sale at Costco three for five. So I bought like a hundred of those and I'll give those out. Um, and then I also do an email. So I have everybody I've ever done a transaction with, and then some referral partners and some leads. I put them all into a database and then uh, at least every other week, but usually once a week, I send out a, an email from MailChimp. Uh, it's free. And I just basically, you know, handwrite the thing. I talk about whatever's going on. I interview my lender sometimes, you know, things like that. Gotcha. No, I think those are all really great um, ways. And I know if I was a client, you gave me old Bay. I mean, I'd be coming back to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the one funny thing about this, I learned this from a guy who's like a killer and he says, you know, old uh hot sauce who throws away hot sauce how long how long does hot sauce stay in the average person's <laughs> cabinet like forever it just sits there 
So you put a yep. label on it, you know, with your name and phone number or whatever, and maybe some stupid catchy phrase, and they'll just leave it in their cabinet for like two years. It's great. No, that's that's a very good point. I know our hot sauce has been there for a while, unlike other stuff, you know, where you just get rid of it like after a week. So yeah, that's actually it was, a very it was genius. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, so kind of like fast forward, actually, I actually have another point on your um, follow-up system. Do you, do you use KV core for anything of that nature? So I have KV core and, and I, again, I'll admit that I am, am not somebody who has previously been extremely disciplined about maintaining a database. My main database is I just, I just cold called a guy who's got a rental and he says, you know, whatever. And I said, Hey, you know, you mind if I keep in touch, I'll send you my contact information. I got his email address. And I'm dropping it in my email, my my weekly email. There's a guy, Ricky Carruth, that he built his entire database just asking for people's email addresses. He sends out a weekly email. You know, he closes a million dollars worth of commissions a year. It's over 100 transactions. Wow. I'm starting to follow that process. I, I like to kind of keep it simple sort of thing. And, and at the same time, I use my um, Google Calendar to follow up. If I do talk to somebody who says, you know, I called a guy back this morning. I put it in my calendar. And as you know, from my missed call the other day, I don't always check my calendar all day. So, you know, it's a struggle, but I know I don't yeah. use KV core um, at the moment. I think that I might transition between the dialer that I'm using. I'm using red X at the moment okay. and they have a little database thing. So as I sort of catch people that may or may not want further follow-up i'll probably integrate it with kv core more or i might just stick with my my calendar gotcha no it makes sense like you said simplicity is always the best answer and i love you said about the whole just creating an email list and i know some of my mentors have told me like look all you can do is just get some investors creating huge email lists have like a deal of the day or deal of the week something like that just from your mls and you know sales can just start coming in that way so that's just one simple way it doesn't cost a lot of money either so very cost yeah. effective. It obviously works. Yeah, it's free. And one of the things that I do with it is I record a YouTube video most of the time and I include the YouTube video in the email that goes out. I try not to, I stay away from all this replace the batteries in your smoke detector and spring forward and all this like nonsense. Here's the recipe of the month. Like I feel like that's just 1999 real estate agent sort of thing. And I try to provide legit content that's helpful and informative and you know, I try to be the expert. My wife, again, she's, it's like, we have, we have a very perfect yin and yang. She's like the warm and fuzzy yeah. and I'm the, you know, I'm the closer. So it, it works. She's sort of, like I said, she opens the door and then I can explain, you know, the other, the other thing that I'll just say real quick, that is probably the secret to our success is <clears throat> I learned a listing methodology about my second year in the business paid a lot of money to the national association of expert advisors, the kinder Reese coaching. And um, <clears throat> I learned how to take control of the listing process. And that has allowed me to sort of have very few negative um, interactions with clients and very few negative experiences and very few um, houses that didn't sell, you know, so the national average just a few years back was like 45 plus percent of I'll call it attempts. Like you put the house on the market and you took it off. You might've sold it later, but that is a failed attempt. Like 45% of the time it was a failed attempt. Uh, mm -hmm. That number is a lot lower today, but there still are significantly, you know, a number of houses that don't sell. And the process that I learned allows me to navigate the whole sell your house and, and 
And I think that as the market starts to turn and it becomes harder to sell your house, that information becomes more valuable. And I think that's one of the reasons why our reputation has stayed high and why, you know, I feel like even if you're a great marketer and you're not great at selling houses, eventually people will kind of catch on to it. Yeah, no, that's definitely a great point. I think we've definitely been spoiled the last couple of years as well at this market. Just like, you don't have to be an excellent salesperson, but you could pretty much sell any house in the in the past month. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, I, I I make all these jokes at all these like newer real estate agents who couldn't sell uh, anything. Like they're bragging about how fast they sold a house. And I was like, okay, we'll just wait until yeah. it goes back to like 2015 to 16 when you know, I was working with people that were having, you know, they were crying at the kitchen table about their, their hardships. And, you know, and, and the other thing that I'll say about that is, you know, not everybody's always making money and, and moving up in the world. There's people that are going through real hardships. And 100%. if you don't have the skills to be able to help them out of that situation, you know, you're doing a disservice, you know, I don't want to get too far off track, but uh, I think that there's like different, there's different sort of like, uh, ways to consider this this job that we're in and one of those ways is that your your job is to provide a professional service and i do think that's something that is lacking in our industry yeah no 100 i think you're so right too because if someone's selling their house they would definitely want the, the most bang for their buck so that's your job as the agent make sure you can bring in the highest profit for them once you're yes going and that's Sometimes not always a straightforward stuff. technique like there's a there's a lot to we don't have time to get into all of it but there's a lot that goes into all that and i and i feel like that if you uh want to ask somebody to pay you you know ten or twenty thousand dollars to help them do that you should be an expert at your job and 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 i feel like again not to get too far off track but i feel like our industry doesn't really provide a mechanism to make sure that the people that are showing up to do this job, have that skill set all the time. hundred percent. And just from my experience, it's definitely probably one of the easiest industries to get into. Like it's not yes. hard to get a real estate license. You know what I mean? But there's yeah, so I'll much- tell you, I'll tell you a little joke about that. So, so the way I, the, one of the ways I got into real estate was, this is just a quick side story. I helped this guy. I was, it was, was my, like my last mortgage deal. Okay. My wife had just gotten licensed and I was doing the mortgage and she was doing the real estate. And this guy wanted to buy a house that was about four houses down from where we were living. And he was like a friend of the family's employee, like the new guy that took over this business. And he wanted to buy the house in the corner. So she got in the car. We went down the hill. We went up the hill. And he had the door was open and the guy had already walked through the whole house. He showed up 20 minutes early. She got there. Well, what do you want to do? He says, well, I definitely want to buy it. You know, I'm going to pay full price. Okay, I've already seen the house. She gets back in the car, down the hill, up the hill, back into our house. So I took this guy's loan, and at this time he had um, he had student loan debt that was like messed up. If you understand mortgages and the way the student loans are recorded, it, it, it was all messed up. I had to like get him to contact these guys and redo it. Then I found out he didn't make enough money, so we contacted the employer. I got him a raise. And then the, his vehicle was kind of messy. So we ended up getting the employer to buy this car from him. And then um, it, it like I rearranged this guy's whole life. And then at the end of it, there was a secondary approval using this loan called USDA. Well, at this particular moment in time, the approvals went from three days to 21 days. And then the listing agent thought it was my fault. This wasn't closing on time. So she created this, this ruse and pretended that the house was going to go to somebody else. And I had to get I had to basically move heaven and earth and get a congressional act passed to close this loan on time. I restructured the student loans, got his credit score up. 
uh, got him two raises at work and got his car paid off. And then we get there and this guy's like, Hey Brian, like, yeah. And then it was like taking pictures with my wife. Thank you so much. You did such a great job. We'd love you. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? Like that? that and, and then I just r- realized that, you know, that job versus the real estate job is so different. And, and I was so angry that, that I got treated this way because it's a long story, but I got the, the, the listing agent made up this lie and was making me out to be the bad guy. And that I was determined to crush these real estate agents. Like that was, you know, whole thing about my motivation. And um, so I got my license in 17 days. It took me 17 days and I sat on my back deck and I was just like sitting out there with my little laptop and I was just smoking cigars and I took this real estate class. So, I think it was what fifteen hundred dollars in in the state of Maryland. I think it's like sixty hours or forty hours or some craziness. My daughter at the moment is getting licensed to do cosmetology. It's fifteen hundred hours. It's going to take her a year and a half, and I did it in seventeen days, like just sitting on my deck. And yeah. then I immediately like was and my wife was already in the middle of helping this guy list his four hundred thousand dollar like the house he was going to sell to retire in. And then I was able to take on this responsibility 17 days later of helping this guy sell the house and whatever he sells it for will determine the house he lives in for the rest of his life. His literal largest investment was my responsibility like three weeks after I decided to become a real estate agent. I know there's a little bit of time in between getting licensed. I just know that it took from the time I paid for the course to the time I passed the course it was 17 days. And yeah, you're right. It's very easy to get into this job. It's very easy to you know, just skate by and make it look like you're uh, a great real estate agent. One of the issues is there's no way to verify if I'm a good real estate agent or not. There's no way to know, uh, unfortunately, but you're right. The bar of entry is very low. Yeah, no, it's, that's a funny story. Yeah. It's definitely crazy. Cause even if you're like a business major in college, it's still a four year degree. You know what I mean? Here you are getting this in 17 days. It's like, holy cow. I'm starting to sell million dollar houses. So, um, yeah. And if you yeah, know anything about the securities, like jobs in order to get a series seven, like in order to help you trade a stock, it's extremely uh, challenging to take that test. Like I've looked at it one time and yeah. it is very hard. It's, it's a lot of effort to get your real estate licenses. It's not an easy test, but it's certainly not like compared to every other job. And I talked to a guy one time who was a commercial uh, real estate. And he says for the, for the amount of upfront investment capital, like, operating costs, and then the upside. There is no job in which you can put in this little amount of money and effort to have this much of a return. Now, I would argue that all of the you know undocumented challenges are why 87% of real estate agents don't make it past year five. Um, and I think it's made out to be easier than it is because everybody's got a financial interest in telling you, oh, you just follow this system and you'll get five leads and close two deals a month. You know, none of that stuff is absolutely true, but you're right. There's no other job in which you could theoretically just take about $2,000 and three weeks later make, you know, average of $10,000 per transaction. Yeah, no, and 100%. And if you take it seriously, like you said, it has huge payoffs. But if you don't, then it's just going to be a huge, like a lot of losses and a lot of money is going to come out of your bank account. Nothing's going back in. So yeah, that's for sure. And so 
for Ramon, another thing you mentioned was that the market's starting to turn, and I've definitely noticed that as well. And do you think it's just because the Fed is raising interest rates, or do you think there's other factors as well as going into that? And like, what do you think the market's going to turn into next couple of years? So um, you kind of have to understand the whole history of how we got here. Like 2007, it was a crash. And then during that crash, the builders went out of business for the most part. And then millennials who normally sort of like as people pass away, new people come into the market, like there's this whole sort of like trade off that's taking place. And then there's new construction to sort of supplement for the growing population, people having kids and whatnot. And then they did not get into the market. They had student loan debt. And then the average age of people getting married and buying a home has continued to, to go later and later. So now we're like 34, five years old before someone buys their first home and millennials like widen that gap all at once. Like for some reason right there in 2015, 16, 17, they just wouldn't buy a house. And we were in this like stagnant situation where the economy would continue to go up. The stock market went up but the housing market was like stuck. So then interest rates went down so far. You could buy a $600,000 house for like less than $3,000 a month. And everybody decided to jump in. Millennials all started getting married, having kids all it seems like on the same weekend and everybody jumped into the market and that's what drove the market up. So in the meantime, the builders have not been able to, you know, catch up. It's not like you can decide one day to be a builder and then put up a neighborhood by next week. It takes years to get right. the permits and the zoning and the develop the land and find the land. So they haven't been able to catch up. And then the, the other issue is the different towns across our land don't want any affordable housing in their backyard. So when builders do build houses here in Maryland, for instance, they build them in 3,500 square foot houses that are $600,000, $700,000, they're not really considered affordable, but that's the only way those guys are turning a profit. Then the cost of materials has gone up. The labor shortages have affected the market. So the supply side hasn't been able to, to meet the demand. Back in February, we had 7 million buyers, 1.5 million houses for sale. And I was told that basically since then, when the rates have gone up, that number has been cut in half as far as buyers. So you still have, you know, two or three million buyers trying to buy however many houses are on the market. There's always going to be a need for that. But I think as the rates go up, what you have is a situation where most people, I think three out of four people are locked in under 4%. So now as you get up to five and a half percent and maybe you're at three and a quarter, and now you want to sell your house and buy another one. Not only has house prices even gone up this year, I think they've gone up probably close to 10%. Last year was like, you know, 16 to 20%. Year before it was 10%. So since you bought your house, house prices have gone up significantly. And the cost of a house per what your income is, has also started to kind of like go up. So now it's, you know, historically considered expensive to buy a house. Then rates have gone up since December about two and a half percent, which represented on a mortgage payments close to 30 percent. And then inflation's gone up 10 percent. So you can say house prices have gone up 10 percent. Inflation's gone up 10 percent. Mortgages have gone up maybe 30 percent. Give or take, you're close to a 50 percent jump in what a house costs just from last 2021. It sounds crazy, but if you look at it that way, like your expenses 
are going to make that jump that that far. And then if you're going from a three and a quarter interest rate to five and a half, and you're trying to buy a bigger house, like the step that you have to step up now became legit. Like you have to really want this to happen to, to make that, yeah. to make that work. If you're going from a starter home, three bedroom to a five bedroom, or you're going from a smaller house to a bigger house, that, that step has become significantly higher. So now we have remodeling is through the roof. Everybody is remodeling. I mean, the one thing that people always ask is, is there going to be a crash? There's not going to be a crash because first of all, anybody who got in any kind of a financial situation, they have equity in their house. Even if they bought it last year, they have enough equity to sell it. So anybody who thinks we're going to have like a flood of foreclosures and we're going to see short sales everywhere. That's not true because if you get in financial trouble, you lose your job, you can just sell your house and still make money. So anybody who's bought in the past couple of years can sell it. You know, if you own from way before you can still sell it, um, that won't happen. And there's also not any bad mortgages. Like the number of percentage of people that have defaulted on their mortgage or that have any kind of like a weird, mortgage they don't exist there's no more option arms there's no more you know interest only sort of arms out there that people are into that they can't afford those those scenarios don't exist anymore they've tightened up the mortgage laws so for the most part you know people are going to have to think a lot harder about moving than they did before i mean there's all kinds of statistics about that one of the issues is i read a new york times article about this the other day like the back in the eighties, like people moved, I think like five times more than they do today. They would just move across town. Maybe just buy a bigger house. You want a house with a bigger backyard. It was like an easier transition. And now with the fees involved and then, um, you know, whatever it is, people don't find it as desirable to move as much. I don't know what the big difference is, but now that the interest rates have gone up, house prices have gone up the supply has not gone up, you know, back in the day, it's like when I say back in the day, like 2017 buyers could spend two or three weeks looking at 10 houses and they could pick and narrow it down and they could negotiate and get their seller to pay the closing costs. None of that exists anymore. So buying houses become a brutal experience. Like I used to say that as a real estate agent, your value was, way higher as a listing agent than you were as a buyer's agent. Most of the time you're just a tour guide. You're just there to sort of, you know, help them sort out in their mind whether or not they should buy this house and then help them fill out a contract. But on the listing side, it was a lot more. And then it became the other way around. Whereas like as a buyer's agent, you had to know how to navigate past five other people so that they could get this house. Like, how do you do that? There was a strategy. I have a lot of strategies on how to do it, but I feel like that's where real value is. Like I had a house I sold last year and the buyer said they had written 17 contracts. Now in, in, in different parts of the country, that's normal. And here in Southern Maryland, that's not normal. Like, you know, it was like maybe three or four to, to not get a house. You know, maybe you're just, maybe you're not mentally ready. Maybe your real estate agent wasn't aggressive or you didn't, you weren't tuned in or whatever it was, but to write 17, like that's brutal. You know, so I think that that side of the business is going to change. I think it's going to become easier to buy a house because you're going to have a little more time to decide. Like I just sold a house last weekend and the people like we countered offer and they waited three days to respond, which is weird. That didn't used to be the case. Um, 
so I think that everything's going to even out a little bit, but I think it's going to be, I think what we're going to see is less transactions because less people are going to choose to move. Now there's always going to be military people relocating job relocation, people getting divorced and passing away. Those people have to sell their house. But outside of that, it's like, you know, during the pandemic, everyone was like, Hey, I don't have to work close to my job. I don't feel like living in this cruddy house anymore. And I'm stuck in here all day. Let me go get one out in the country or something. And it was like people were choosing to move because they could. Everybody's got all this equity, can pay off debt, buy a house, interest rates are three. Who doesn't want to do that? You know, but now it's like you're not going to do that unless you have to. Yeah. No, that is 100% a very great answer. I love you said about how things are going to balance out more. And I'm like, I'm a very new real estate agent as well, but I did put an offer in one house and it's like there's already eight offers in two days, like into the listing. So I think, like you said, I think that's going to change. I think we're going to have more time to have you know, yeah. offers in there. So if you want to take it offline. I'll tell, kinda... you, tell you what my advice is on how to handle that. Yeah. 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 Let's hear it. Let's hear it. We got some time. All right. So here's my advice on how to handle a situation like that. Um, so first of all, I would never send in an offer. I'd never ever send in an offer when I'm helping a buyer until five minutes before the offer deadline. And I don't write my offer based on what the buyer thinks the house is worth. We write the offer based on how many other offers there are. Cause otherwise we're wasting our time. Like, Oh, well, I think I'm just going to pay full price. Okay. There's eight offers. What are we doing here? Like, so I'll just back up a yeah. little bit and say that as a buyer's agent and a listing agent, your number one goal is to become very proficient at your job and to know more than they do. Like you have to be good at this. You have to know what you're talking about and you have to assume that if you don't help them make the right decision, they're going to make a wrong decision. I mean, if you've done it enough times, you know, that is true. You've watched people make stupid decisions and it's your job to help them make good decisions. So you have to like go in depth with them on what they want. Why do they want it? What are they willing to do? What are they not willing to do? Why, why, why you have to know all this. You know, I pepper these people with questions until they just feel like they're being interrogated. But it's because my goal is to help them. Like, I need to know why. What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? And then I educate them. Okay, well, let me just be honest with you. Uh, here's the here's the reality situation. If you want to do this, you have to do this. If you want to do this, you have to do that. And you kind of just like work on them as you're showing them houses and you sort of like teach them what's the reality so that when the time comes, they know what to expect. So when the time comes, if I want to put an offer in on a house, the first thing that I would do is I would try to get there first. So I would try to, this would be my first strategy would be give my clients the listings on the 15 minute notification from the MLS directly. And I tell them, if you guys see something and you really want it, like take off work, get in your car and I'll meet you at the house. Or if you can't, I'll go there, videotape it, or I'll take a look at it for you, whatever. And the goal would be to have my clients be very up to date on what they want, what they don't want. Go look at houses, even if you don't intend on buying them per se, just to kind of feel the market out. So that when the decision comes time, you're ready to make, you're ready to step up. So let's assume that they've done all that and they're ready to step up. The first thing I would try is like, Hey, Mr. Or Mrs. Listing agent, how's it going? How this house is pretty cool. My clients like it. Uh, do you think there's a way that we could, you know, write an offer that would take this house off the market tonight? Call your clients and ask them. Sometimes 
you know, not everybody has, not everybody's been educated on how all this could go down. And they're like, you know what, if I could get 350 for the house, I'll take it. And you call them up and they're like, Hey, they're going to give you 350. And he's like, yeah. And they just take it. It doesn't always have to be 15 offers over seven days. Sometimes people are just willing to do right. that. So I'll call the listing agent. and I'll say, is there anything that's important to them? So as an example, some people say, you know, cause knowing this from the listing side, they'll say things like, well, you know what? I, I replaced a roof. I'm not going to fix anything else. It's like, okay. So if we were to agree to do an informational only inspection with a 24 hour, basically kick out, would that, would that make your client happy? And then you call a couple home inspectors. Can you get out there tomorrow? Make sure you line that up. So then you, so in the contract, instead of asking for seven days, to do all these inspections, you just do 24 hour just to kind of make sure the house isn't going to fall over. And then if maybe the client is like, well, you know, I would really prefer to move in the middle of this is very common right now. I, I want to sell my house in April, but I want to move in June. It's like, all right, well, what if we let you live there for free? Like we'll go to settlement and there's the, the next one is how fast you can settle. People want their money. So look, I'll get you your money in three weeks. We can do a three week settlement, two week settlement, whatever, and then get you your money. And then you can live there for free. So what is it that, what is it the seller wants? Maybe the seller wants a flexible moving date. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're wanting somebody who is willing to do something that isn't already completely obvious. Like Mr. And Mrs. Listing agent, is there anything that they would really prefer it's like, well, they want to be able to take their swing set. It's like, yeah, okay, I'll buy you a new swing set and you can have this one. I'll get you two. Just take my offer. And, you know, using that mentality of understanding what the seller wants and what is it going to take to close the deal. So let's assume that they say, nope, uh, send your offer in. We're not taking any offers tonight. I would never, ever send in an offer at this point because the first thing that happens is, you know, when there's eight, it's not really like a big deal to have seven or eight. But if there's zero and you send somebody an offer on Friday and they're like, well, we want to see about the open house and let's we have three showings scheduled for tomorrow. Let's see how it goes. If you send in an offer, the first thing that I'm going to do as a listing agent is, hey, I know you're coming tomorrow. One, just wanted to let you know we have an offer on the table. I'm just curious. Are your clients serious? Or are they just getting started? Or it's like, oh, no, they're serious. I was like, OK, well, I just want to let you know I have a pretty good offer. It's not the greatest offer, but I'd love a better offer. Call me if you have any questions. I'm calling everybody, and I'm going to say that. So I would never send in any offers until right before they're going to accept the offer. So let's assume that they're going to wait until Sunday at 3 o'clock. So I would text the agent like Sunday morning, and I would say, how many offers do you have? Let's say they said they had eight offers. I would tell my client, they have eight offers. You guys need to consider how bad you want this. Then I would have a conversation about, you know, house prices go up 10% a year over the past couple of years. And everyone's like, oh, well, wait till next year. Oh, how has that been working out for you? It's been working out terrible. You're told lady the other day, you're 30. Every time you tell me this, they go up 10%. Now you're 30% behind where you started. Like you're losing. So stop bragging about how you don't need to buy a house. Like you obviously want to buy a house. So let's assume house prices go up another 10% this year, you know, 500,000, that's $50,000. So, you, you know, 
how much more over the asking price are you willing to pay? Are you willing to do an appraisal gap? Like let's say it appraises it, you know, for 480 and we went under contract to 500. Are you willing to cover any of that? That's another way to sort of get in front of somebody else. Um, and then the lender that you're using is another strategy. Like, you, you know, you're using a 1-800 rocket mortgage. Your things go into the bottom of the stack. But if you're using, as an example, my lender. So a lot of times if I'm the listing agent, I'm like, hey, you know what? If you're using my lender, I'd feel a lot more comfortable about your offer. And they're like, no, I'm not doing that. We're sticking with USAA. It's like, all right, well, I'll just duly noted. Um, so anything that you can do to get a leg up, the lender, have the lender call the listing agent, pepper them with questions too. Maybe they find out something else that no one else knew. You know what I mean? And then yeah. once we get closer to three o'clock, call the listing agent up. How, where are we at? We're at eight offers. Okay. Call your clients. They're at eight offers. Here's what we're going to need to do. And then I say, Hey, this is, this is my, this is my, this is worth the cost of admission. So I say, Hey, look, and listen, Mr. Mrs. Listing agent, there's two houses that they want. They already missed out on a couple and they want to get your house, but they feel like that they're going to be maybe wasting their time. Do you think if they offered five 30 with a three day thing and da 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 using this lender, da 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 da. So here's what happens many times. They're like, yeah, well, you know what? I think if you'd be willing to raise your appraisal gap from 10,000 to 20,000, that'd probably be good. It's like, okay, 20,000. Boom. That's how you win. They just told you how to win. They didn't tell you, you have to offer this. You have to offer, but if you ask enough questions and you build enough rapport with the agent, you also like, listen, you know, I, look my numbers up. I sell houses. Like I'm on the ball. You know, I just beat out like it was six offers and we were second from the bottom as far as the list, the the net to the seller, the listing agent knew the house wasn't going to appraise for a million dollars. Like, so it was like, at that point, we want to take the one most likely to close. They knew me, they knew the lender. They knew how serious I was. I offered what I said, you tell me what to fill in. You just tell me, what do you want on a settlement date? What do you want on this? What do you want on that? whatever you want. And the agent like felt more comfortable with all of that. And we were able to get ahead of six offers doing that. So like use a lot of Intel, build relationships with the listing agent. Hey, if you think, what do you think about this offer? What do you think about that offer? Do you think this is a good offer? Do you think this is a winning offer? You kind of joke. Yeah. Do you think, am I winning? Like you say stuff like that. And eventually sometimes they'll kind of slip up and tell you things they shouldn't. <laughs> Right, right. Dude, that is a million dollar answer. And it's yeah. pretty much everything that I did wrong during that first one. So I was so glad you, you got to work the listing agent hard. You have to make friends with them. You got to pepper them with questions. And it's a great listing. Like you just have to like, you know, do, yeah. go full Intel and full attack mode. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's chestnut checkers. So you just got to be smart about it. Yeah. I love it. Um, so yeah, I wish we had more time, but, um, apparently we got to hop off. So before we have, if we have to leave, is there anything else that you'd like to say? And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? I can go to briansoldit.com. Um, that's, that's my website for, uh, for people that want to sell their house. And, um, as far as what I want to say, I feel like that if I had to say anything to any real estate agents watching this, this video, it would be that, um, we're going to come into a time shortly where, people may end up in a less desirable situation. And 
I think we have an obligation to do a good job and be able to help these people. And I think that, you know, putting a lot of effort into learning how to become a, a, a strong listing agent, somebody who has answers to questions. And, and, you know, I, I touched on this earlier, but when I was explaining about the way people think, you know, you use this idea of like control, like taking control of the situation, making sure you educate your clients so that they make good decisions so that you can help them. Cause you know, anybody who's been in this business a while knows of quite a few horror stories of people that have been, you know, chewed up and spit out because they had a bad real estate agent or a bad lender. And, you know, these decisions that these people make have lifelong implications. And I think people sometimes are a little too casual about how they see this business as money making. It's a side hustle. And I feel like that that's disrespectful and that you need to really respect other people's money. And if you're not really committed on that level, then, you know, you should find a different job. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a good point um, as well. So, all right, guys, we have it. Brian Mayer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Will. No way.